This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Peter Vranis, a co-founder of Neutromics. It's an Australian medtech company providing continuous real-time molecular monitoring using a smart patch biosensor platform. Peter shares his story from already having built and exited a successful cosmeceutical brand and how that led to meeting his co-founder to build Neutromics and the journey that's ensued that led to participating in a medtech accelerator and the journey through capital raising and proof of concepts. So what is Neutromics? Well, consider how conventional molecular tests and monitoring works. You take a blood test, you get a result. Decisions are made for your therapy. Because of the single point nature of test results, you soon need another test, and then another, and so on. Aside from the patient experience of being jabbed regularly, this approach leaves big gaps in the information needed to support decision-making and treatments in situations where monitoring of fast-moving molecular targets is needed. Neutromics have developed a one-patch platform that can be adapted to many applications. In my view, this is agile healthcare. It starts with a plan and then uses the real-time feedback to adjust, improve, even pivot, or ultimately ensure that the patient is getting the best value of the therapy. Imagine the digital health innovation opportunities when using continuous molecular monitoring to target drugs, metabolites, proteins, hormones, or even using a multi-analyte approach. What level of clinical improvements and patient engagement could this offer the mental, physical, or nutritional health provider community and their clients? And what about the possible evolution in the models of healthcare where the data feed could be used to trigger the next appointment or the supply of therapeutic products or even drugs or even reschedule an appointment supported by on-demand therapeutic goods or services? This is an episode covering many aspects of health tech innovation. And so whether you're a health provider, an entrepreneur, or even an investor, you'll get a lot out of this episode. Let's jump in. Oh, hey there, Pete. How are you doing today? Good, Yanni. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you, mate. Thanks for coming along and sharing your story about Neutromics. I always like to kind of kick off with uh, finding out a little bit about your journey. What's the story, Peter? Well, I've been an entrepreneur, Yanni, for probably about 17 years, which is quite a number of years when you think about it. Started off in aromatherapy, a long way from medtech, uh, <laughs> and it was one of those. <laughs> I get ribbed a little bit these days about that, Yanni, as you can maybe imagine, I don't know. But uh, started off, yeah, doing that and moved into skincare and then ran a, a business around skincare for a few years, five or six years. The brand was called La Purito, and we sold that into pharmacies and Meyer and Priceline and great team and, and then exited that a few years ago. That was a good experience. And then started up a new skincare brand that was in skin health because health was really something that I'm quite passionate about. I was about two years in and thought, is this what I want to do? for the rest of my career and really got to a crossroads. I think a lot of people have that experience where they, you get to a point in your career and you say, I can go left or I can go right. 
which way am I going to go? And I knew skincare and I knew it well and, and I thought I could be quite successful in it. But had, uh, I don't know the word, maybe a, a, a yearning for something more and something different. So healthcare and the healthcare system was something that really always bothered me. I don't know if, if, if that's a good thing or not, but it did. It bothered what, me. What was bothering you about it, Pete? What bothered me was that we have a system globally that doesn't really value prevention. What we do is we wait for people to get sick and then we treat them in the simplest form. And so diabetes was something that, that I was looking at in particular. And diabetes can be prevented. It's it, Lifestyle-related diabetes can be prevented. Yet we give very, very little attention to it. And endocrinologists that we speak to acknowledge it. They say, we, we say, well, what do you do when someone's got prediabetes? And in essence, what happens besides the usual eat less and exercise more, which is no big light bulb moments there, they wait for them to get sick and then to get diabetes and then they treat them. And then you basically have diabetes for life. That's a bit of a crazy system in 2021 that that's how we treat these sort of lifestyle-related chronic diseases. So it's things like that that really played on my mind and got me thinking, do I want to do another skincare brand or do I want to make a mark in this area? And I, I chose the latter. It was about that time I met Hitesh Mehta, my co-founder. We had a, just a meeting of the minds, basically. I didn't know Hitesh. We met at a, at a conference and we just talked about these problems, you know, our experiences with them. And literally, I think that night I said, do you want to come on board? Do you want to do something with me? And he said, love to, straight away, just bang. And we didn't really even know what that concept was. You know, I had done some work in the area and we just worked on it. And this, this journey has been one, it's, this is not a straight line. This is a story of pivots. You, you couldn't predict in a million years that we'd be where we are now from back. That, that was three years ago. And we're just starting. There's been a lot of changes along the way, but it's been exciting. We've made great progress and we've got so much more to do. I don't know of any business that doesn't have pivots and got plenty of its fair shares of whiny long roads that you need to go through. So for me, I just hear the voice of experience coming out there in that, you know, those previous businesses that you're sort of remarking on. And what is health? You know, it's gone when we think about the healthcare industry, there's there's so much that covers it. I think at the end of the day, it's about human beings and what they need to live a functional, fulfilled life. Yeah. And I think, yeah, there's definitely been an industrialization of some aspects of medicine and there's there's a lot of money in it. And the cynics might say that's why it is the way that it is. But I think it's a matter of just finding the uh, value streams for alternative ways to be able to deal with management. And by alternative, I don't necessarily mean excluding the way the industries operate now, but just the alternative approaches to healthcare. And we've been hearing a lot about more personalized healthcare and consumer-centric healthcare mm. and client-centered, and we're getting all these really nice narratives building around the way the healthcare system can support an individual. So that's what is uh, at the heart of what you're doing, isn't it? The, the whole Neutromics story. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, the essence of what Neutromics is about, notwithstanding that the pivoting and the, and, and the windy road that you've been on, but where is it now? Where do, you, where do you see it? We're about precision medicine. We have a technology but the company isn't the technology. The company is what the technology can do. And it's all about the patient. 
the, the person, like you said, we, we totally relate to that. This is, we have systems and legacies and, and things built into our medical system, but ultimately, we always go back to first principles, like you just did there. You went back to first principles and said, well, what is this all about? It's, and it's about children, mums, dads, people. The person sometimes get lost in the whole system, the yeah. economics and the, the infrastructure and all that, but ultimately, they're all there to serve people. So that's what our company is here to do, is to serve people better. And boy, we can do it so much better than what has been done at the moment. So we have a technology that can measure molecular targets continuously and in real time. It's a platform technology. So the best way to describe, to give you an idea of well, what does that mean? So it's a patch and it's similar to a continuous glucose monitor. So, so they've been around for you know 10 years or so, totally revolutionized the management of type 1 diabetes. So instead of everyone pricking their finger or all diabetics pricking their finger multiple times a day, you wear a patch and it continually measures glucose. And that level of data has changed how people dose insulin and, and manage diabetes. And it's now moving into type 2 diabetes and it's now also moving into well-being applications because it just so happens that glucose is a really, really great molecular marker for your health. So you can personalize diet. You can do a lot. It's, it's the mother of all markers pretty much. And so we're thinking, well, if you could measure anything, if you had a platform technology that can measure any molecular target, what would you do and how could it transform healthcare? And you can, you can actually transform healthcare if you can do that. Therapeutic drug monitoring is one example. So it, it is a little archaic in the way we do that at the moment. So if you went into hospital in America, 17% of all patients get IV vancomycin. It's a very common antibiotic. Right, they they use it a lot more in in the US than they do in Australia, and less than half of the doses of vancomycin get into the therapeutic zone because of the way they dose it. If we both had vancomycin, the same amount, at the site of interest would have a very different concentration. So you got to keep taking these blood draws, but they only take them every 12 hours, and you have to take it within a certain period of time. But 80% of the time, they take it outside of that time, so they get limited data. The data they get is typically wrong and less than half of the doses kill the bacteria. That's life-threatening as well. So it, it's terrible outcomes. So if we can measure vancomycin, which we can do continuously and in real time, we totally transform that whole industry. So instead of looking in the rearview mirror and clinicians knowing what a patient's, their concentration was 12 hours ago, they can know what a patient's concentration is in real time and continuously. And what often happens is patients get dosed now too much and they get, because this is a renally cleared drug, so they get what's called AKI, acute kidney injury. So you go into hospital for one problem, you come out with another. So we can solve a lot of problems in that space. And that's just one example of what you can do when you can measure things continuously and in real time. And there's dozens of other applications. So that, that's what we can do. We can help the patient by dosing drugs safer with greater efficacy and there are much better patient outcomes, and it's cheaper, and there's a lot of benefits. So that's our first market, but there's, there's so much more we could do with this tech. Let's unpack that a little bit. So use a number of terms. I'll, I'll go through them one by one, but you're referring to it as a platform. Talk mm. us through that concept in your business model. When I say platform, what I mean by that is we are agnostic to the target. We can measure 
any molecular target in theory. Traditionally, sensors are not agnostic to the target. They are measuring a byproduct of a chemical reaction. That's how glucose sensors work. That class of sensor is called an enzymatic sensor. That's not a platform. Every new sensor you create, you go back to scratch and you have to create it from the ground up. Our technology is different. We don't have to do that. So this has been the holy grail in biosensing for decades. This is not a new concept. So the, the idea of a, of a platform technology that can measure any molecular target has been around for, for a long time because people can imagine the benefits when you can do that. Glucose and diabetes is just one that comes to mind. There, there, are, there are dozens. But the inventor of the technology is a guy called Professor Kevin Plaxko. He's from University of California in Santa Barbara. And he's a biological physicist. And so he asked a fundamentally different question than anyone's ever asked. And he asked, well, the body right now, you, you and me are measuring molecular targets continuously and in real time. How does the body do it? And so it's a class of science called biomimetics, so learning from nature. And the body does it by, but it's got proteins that change shape. They, they, it's called conformational change in the presence of a target. And so he used aptamers instead of proteins because they're easier to develop to essentially do the same thing as what the body does already. This is a solved problem. And he found that works. And that became our platform. And him and his team and us, because he's now in Melbourne working with us on this tech, we've done this now with 12 different sensors. So we can do proteins, we can do metabolites, we can do drugs, we can do hormones. So we can do a whole range of different molecular targets that you can't do with any other technology. So that's the really exciting thing is this platform can be applied to solve big problems in lots of different areas in healthcare. And that's, that's going back to your question. So what's a platform? It's a platform is something that can be adapted very easily to measure different targets in our case, whereas the other technologies can't do that because they're not platforms. And the sensors is another term that you've been using. So is the sensor a significant part of being able to have that dexterity with the, with the platform? Yeah, well, it's actually two platforms coming together. So the sensor itself is a platform. So we have this patch is composed of micro needles, right? So tiny little needles less than one millimeter in, in height. And they access what's called institutional fluid. So the same fluid that's used for continuous glucose monitors, we use the same. So that's a platform technology, right? Because we can use that for a whole range of different... We can have multi-sensor analytes. So we can sense more than one thing at the same time. But on the end of each of those needles, we put a, a different layer. And the layer is the sensor. And that is a platform too. That's the one I just described before. So it's actually two platforms coming together that allow us to do what we need to do. The patch and the pins that you describe are kind of like the hardware. And then the layer... What is it? Is it a chemical layer? Is it targeting the specific molecules that you're looking for? Is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So it's literally we dip the end of the needle in a solution and the solution contains these, these aptima sensors and that's how we do it. And, and then so we, we use a tiny, it's actually quite sophisticated technology, but really cheap because we use such a tiny small amount. So a little bit of liquid goes a very, very long way. See, it's interesting that, that it can be so sophisticated yet so cheap at, at the same time. 
Yeah, look, that sounds like a really easy application for uh, consumers because I want to get into the, uh, I guess, the experience that each of the different stakeholders have. But just prior to that, so so we've got the platform, there's a patch, there's the a layer that you described. What's the term that you used for it then? Starts, it started with A and uh, what was it, Anna? So it's a type of sensor called an aptima. aptima. So what an aptima is, yeah, it's just a it's synthetic DNA. That's what it is. So we, we actually select it to be specific for a particular target. So it only changes shape when that target is present, no, no other molecule. So it's very, very specific to what we're trying to measure. How long is that patch effective for? You know, how, how long will it stay on a person? It's similar to continuous glucose monitors. So we're in the early phases, right? So we're doing a trial now for 24 hours. And if we can do 24 hours, we've got what's called clinical utility for our first application because it's easy enough to change a patch out once a day. So we're, we're almost there. But where we want to get to is pushing this out to three, five, seven, 14 days because we have other markets that we can then penetrate when we can do that. So there are consumer applications that we want to move into. And, and people typically don't want to be changing a patch every day. Depends on what the problem is you're solving. If it's big enough, sure, they'll do it. But if it's prevention of a lifestyle chronic disease, for example, then they would prefer to not have to do that because it's just simpler and easier and cheaper. So as we can push the, the duration out, more and more applications come into play. The customer experience is to receive a patch that patch is applied, is it anywhere in the body, uh, wherever comfortable? Is there a specific location where it's most effective? Yeah, that's part of our trial at the moment, is looking at different locations. So at this stage, we'll be probably on the back of the arm because we have to think about how people move and bump and wear clothes and all yep. those different things. So the back of the arm, similar to a CGM, CGMs are worn on the back of the arm or the stomach, depending on what what type of CGM you're wearing. So, so we're starting there. It's situal fluid is systemic. So theoretically, you could put it on other parts of the body, but there are other considerations that we have to take it, you know, just how people wear things and, and making it as unobtrusive as possible. So, so this is, a, this is a, in part a bit of a UX exercise. You're looking at it through the lens of the recipient and what's going to be most comfortable. Uh, less invasive or, uh, you know, in terms of their movements and their lifestyle and, the, you know, the way that they actually want to continue to live. It's it's that kind of thing that needs to be optimised as well. Exactly. You know, you, everyone's seen f what physiological sensors have done around the world. When I say physiological sensors, I, I differentiate the two. Physiological and molecular sensors are two different classes of sensors. So physiological sensors are what people are used to, like in their Fitbit or on their Apple Watch. So it's heart rate, heart rate variability, steps, all those sorts of things. So there, just about everyone's got a physiological sensor. Where we're heading is the next evolution of that because there's only so much information you can get from that, right? And, and there's bigger and bigger data sets. And, and, and Apple are starting to move into different territories with cardiovascular health. And, but you're very limited when you can just do those things when you've got those inputs when you can go to molecular sensing it's the equivalent of a blood test every minute that's that's what we're talking about here now no one's going to do that obviously because of that user experience because it's not practical and all the rest of it but effectively we are what's called lab on the skin so instead of taking a blood test 
going to a lab, getting a process, coming back and saying, here's your one point in, you know, at that one point when we took the blood test, here's that molecular marker. We're doing that on the patch continuously and in real time. Like that's a paradigm shift. That's a complete change in the way health and medicine can be practiced. Because when you have that level of data and that granularity and that big data, those big data sets, the insights from that are a million miles from what we have right now with just physiological measurements. So that's what we're talking about here. This is a paradigm shift, the way we get insights and the insights we can get and what that means to our health and how we can use that to personalize a diet or avoid a chronic disease. So if you're in an ambulance, instead of waiting, there's a golden hour, instead of waiting till you get to hospital to get a blood draw to see if your kidneys have been damaged or your heart's damaged, you can find that out the moment they put a patch on you when the ambulance officer arrives and, and say 45 minutes. You know, it, there, are, there are just dozens and dozens of applications. I mean, kidney health is a classic. So creatinine is a molecular marker for kidney health. There are 800 million people with chronic kidney disease it, the nephrologists, the experts in kidneys that we talk to, call it a data-free zone. This is like diabetes, waiting till you get sick and then treating the illness. It's like that, but, but there are double the amount of people with CKD than diabetes. So we go blind into so many things. We walk into it. These are, a lot of these things are avoidable, preventable diseases, and we just don't have the information. It's as simple as that. And we just go blind into it. And it's not until we have some symptom that we go, oh, we better get that checked out. And by then, it's often you're well progressed. A lot of the vascular damage or whatever it is is done. We're all about, let's go back five years to say, hey, you're about to go down this path. Let's do something about it now. That really uh, hits home. So it's it sort of, am I relating to it correctly when I think about, you know, you used a term before uh, the uh, dosage. And we're dealing with diabetes and being able to manage that and keep it within a certain range or to optimize the therapeutic benefit of a drug and where it's supposed to actually go to in what concentration and so on and so forth. So that, that for me, I can extrapolate that out to just anybody's life in any way, you know, so it's not necessarily dealing with a, a disease or an acute healthcare issue, but it could also just be in understanding what normal looks like for, for an individual and mm. then using it to calibrate any iterative changes in, the, in, in something that's controllable to the individual, such as what, you know, what they're eating or you know, even their environment uh, in terms of things like humidity, temperature, things of that nature. Is, am I going yeah. a little bit too far? No, you're, you are hitting on exactly where this whole industry is heading. It's called closed-loop systems. And, and your analogy of temperature is a perfect analogy. It's like a thermostat, right? So so right now, we, we, we don't have closed-loop systems, which means it'd be the equivalent of being at home and going, oh, it's too cold. I've got to put the thermostat up. I've got to put the temperature up. Oh, it's too hot. I've got to put the... So that's what we do now. When we dose drugs, you get a, a, an initial loading dose, and then they would say, how do you feel? Or they'll take a blood draw. And so it's trial and error. And it takes... And it's really ineffective, right? This is archaic way of doing it. And you're sitting in doctor's offices and hospitals. That's your experience. That Millions of people experience that all the time. What we're talking about is the advent of a thermostat. So you don't have to do that. So you set a temperature and it will automatically control because it's got a feedback mechanism built in. 
that's the analogy that we use for therapeutic drug monitoring. That's where this is going to go. So for you, Yanni, you might, a clinician might say, I want Yanni to have a certain dose of this drug. And so the closed loop will measure, there's two things that has to happen. You have to be able to measure molecules continuously and in real time. So you're saying, where are you at? And then you need a, a way of dosing automatically so you stay on that set point, right? You're in this therapeutic range and you don't go above into a toxic range and you don't go below into a, a an ineffective range where you're not treating the pathogen you're trying to treat. That's exactly where we're trying to get to. And the, the classic example now is the artificial pancreas. So the artificial pancreas became a possibility because you could measure glucose continuously. If you couldn't do that, you could never have an artificial pancreas. So right now, the way diet, type 1 diabetics do it is that they measure their glucose and then they dose insulin and they make all these calculations and that's how, how it all works. Where we're heading imminently with that, with the artificial pancreas, is that it do anything. They, they've got a CGM measuring their glucose and they've got an insulin pump that the two talk to each other and the right amount of insulin gets delivered at the right time. And that radically changes that person's life when you can do that. And so you can imagine closed-loop systems in hundreds of different applications in healthcare. Vancomycin, what our first market, is a classic. Instead of having a nurse dose and you go up and then you go down and you go up and you go down, imagine a system where you can just stay in that therapeutic zone continually. Being able to measure molecular targets continuously and in real time now actually opens up that possibility because we do the first half of it. And then we need partners who can do the second half, who can do the therapeutic bit. But there are some of them already out there. They need us to, to partner with them to make the first bit of reality. So, but you're right. When we talk about precision medicine, personalized medicine, that's largely what we're talking about. The ability to individualize a treatment for a person and do it seamlessly and easily, that's the future that we're working towards. Look, I could see just such a wide range of potential when we move into lifestyle and kind of, you know, really personalizing or really empowering individuals to have a sense of what is in their uh, range of what does health look like, you know, for them, where from an individual point of view, my optimal health looks like you know, uh, a range of data points. And those data mm. points have a, a relationship with the type of groceries I buy, the fruit and vegetables I eat, time I spend on the couch, you know, the type of people I hang around with, it's the mental health aspect. There's there's a variety of different things there that, and I know I'm blowing this out a little bit in terms of the vision that I'm seeing, to actually calibrate your life and actually help make better decisions in real time that yeah. optimize your life. I, exactly. Uh, yeah, a lot of, when we talk about lifestyle-related chronic diseases like you're talking about, right, so foods and, and activity and, and, and stress and sleep, all those things that make, we all know that makes a huge difference on the quality of our life and, our, and, and ha whether we're healthy. And, you know, most people know what they should do, right, typically at a, at a high level, you know. And if you went to a doctor, you would get the advice Eat less for the most for the most part. Eat less and exercise more, and that would be an insight for exactly zero people because everyone already knows that, right? So where we get to here is behavior change. What changes behavior? Because if we know that, why don't why doesn't everyone just do it, right? We don't do it because we have an environment that's conducive to the opposite of that very much, right? 
And so it comes down to how do we change behavior? And there is lots of research that shows that what we need is better tools, right? It's not just more motivation because that's short-lived and that doesn't move the needle. We need better tools. And one of the best tools that, that we can have to change behavior is closing that loop, real-time feedback. So instead of saying, if I eat this meal, I think it's healthy, or I think it's healthy, I don't really know, but I think it's healthy. By seeing how your particular body reacts to that meal, that is an input that changes people's behaviors. And so, and they've shown that in lots of different areas. When you get the biofeedback, people do change their behavior a lot more than if they don't, they go blind. So that's one of the exciting things is that we're starting off with medical applications where you can live or die based on your ability to dose a drug properly, for example. And so we think that's a more immediate and urgent need, and that's why we start there. But we want to get to lifestyle-related chronic diseases because we're talking hundreds of millions of people are afflicted with this, and it's getting worse, and it's preventable. And we have a tool that can help change behavior because we can give those insights. And so that's where we want to get to, and we will get there, but we're starting off with the more urgent live-or-die cases first. Yeah, the term that's popping into my head is agile healthcare, you know, where we are using that continuous feed to iterate the response or the intervention or the support that's needed for an individual in order to achieve the healthcare outcome. Does Is that an appealing notion to you, that idea of agile healthcare? I like it. I like it. <laughs> agile healthcare, it's good. I hadn't thought of that. And there's lots of, another one is the digital self. So it's like a, a digital version of yourself that gives you insights is another way of looking at it. There's, there's a few different analogies and way of looking at it, but I like, it. yeah, agile. So what do you got, agile? Agile healthcare, you know, just coining, coining a bit of a, you know, a bit of a techie term there with the agile continuous uh, improvement side of things in the way we're building tech. You know, just like you're iterating at the moment, you're working with users, you're, you're figuring out what's going to be the best way to apply the, um, the patch and how it fits into their their lifestyle seamlessly and, and, and gets the data out. And part, I think it's intrinsic in modern healthcare anyway, where we're trying to figure out how to stay with a person and support them through that behavioral change. That, that part happens in between the appointments. You know, we've sort of got a healthcare system that's very appointment oriented. You know, it's all about a meeting between a, a health practitioner and the recipient in, in normal circumstances. Obviously, you know, there are exceptions to that for acute healthcare. But then people sort of walk out and you hear about all these kind of challenges with adherence and people yeah. sort of retaining knowledge, you know, the amount of information that's lost when two people sit down and talk with each other. So you have a healthcare professional on one side and, and the patient on the other side. And uh, I think some of the statistics that I've come across recently is something in the order of 60 to 80% loss of uh, retention of information. And so, you know, people are walking out with really just either having cherry-picked or perhaps hyper-focused mm. on a subset of the information and not really carried all the, all the value in the information that was shared yeah. with them. But then that behavioural change is another opportunity. And I think that's right in the, in the wheelhouse of digital health anyway in terms of where you're going with it. We have a bit of a, yeah. a, a pretty decent understanding, I think, of what the user experience is going to be like. Well, a user. So we've got a type of user, which is the, uh, the person wearing the patch, what about the other side? What's what's the health provider's experience going to be like? Yeah, so we've looked at that and we've looked at basically how do they do therapeutic drug monitoring now and how will they do it with our patch? 
And so we simplify. There's a huge cognitive load on clinicians. There's a lot of things that they're doing. You've got to keep a lot of balls in the air. And that example where I said, you know, the, the way they do it now, they take this blood draw, but it has to be within a two-hour window. 80% of the time, it's outside that two-hour window. So that tells you volumes. If you can't, if you can't take a blood draw within a two-hour window for a patient, that's the environment that they're working under. They've got many patients. They're squeezed. They haven't got a lot of time. They're running around. They're, these are great people. Like if they can't do it, who can? So it, it tells me that there is massive cognitive loads on the people that work within the hospital system. So anything that reduces that is a good thing. And anything that reduces it gets better patient outcomes and is cheaper is a great thing. And that's what we give. So so we've mapped out, you know, exactly what is the user journey, what is the clinician journey, how does that all work, so that we have a, a much greater insight. And when we speak to clinicians and we speak to hospitals, we can say, this is how it works. This is the benefit. It's not just a cost benefit. It's not just a patient benefit, but there's a benefit for you as a clinician as well, because we don't want to add another thing on your day that you have to do because you probably don't want that. You, you, you want to make your life simpler and you make better decisions when you, know, when you haven't got 400 things that you're trying to think about at the one time. So we do a lot of that and we still have a lot more to go. We're working a lot on market access and, and go to market and, and the business model. And, and that's all things that we're working on right now. And we're working with really good people. Like we work with Chris Roberts from Cochlear, ex-CEO of Cochlear, and he's on our advisory board and some of the world's best biosensor experts. The, the inventor of the technology is working with us in Melbourne now. It just arrived last week from Santa Barbara. But we have some really, really good people working with us. And that's a huge benefit because what we to do what we're trying to do, it's clearly not an easy thing. It's, it's This is to make a big impact in healthcare it doesn't happen all the time because it's really, really challenging. And you have to have more than a great tech to be able to do that. You need great people, you need great systems, you need great plans, you need great executors. You can you can execute a plan very effectively. You need people with experience. And that's what we do. We're trying to bring all that together to, to give ourselves the best shot of, of making this big impact. Yeah, yeah, 100% agree. I, I often say, you know, the tech is well ahead of culture. You know, so, you know, the, the tech promises um, way more than we're culturally ready for. We sort of have to roll out digital health and health tech innovations at human speed. And mm. that's, that's one of the biggest, um, I think, impediments and challenges, but also opportunities. Because when you get that culture shift within the workforce, within the system, within the way uh, just the whole economy works around that particular intervention, then that's the vision coming to life. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's manifesting yeah. it. It's, it's a bit of a process. But right now in terms of, you know, you're several years in, it sounds like you're really getting a lot of support. You've got some uh, good people around the team's building, really essential keys for success. You've been raising a little bit of capital as well, which we could touch on in a moment if you like. But uh, what's the early business model going to look like as far as you can see for now? Yeah, actually, just just a quick one before I answer that. So you know the agile, agile healthcare the speed. I, I just wanted to say one thing because the the industry is a bit of a dinosaur, as we all know, but boy, it can move quick when it needs to. <laughs> yeah, and saw that COVID, last year. COVID, yeah, <laughs> last year was a classic example. So telehealth, which has been bubbling along, went from single digit take up to forty percent 
in a matter of weeks. Remote patient monitoring has, has had a similar tra- sort of trajectory. So pushing out healthcare outside the four walls of the hospital. So as an industry, we can move fast when we have to and when we need to. That's a great thing because there was a big question mark whether that is even possible, but it is possible. It's been proven to work. So things, if the need is great enough and the desire is great enough, it's amazing what the industry can do. And, and you know, and we hope that that's, that trend is going to continue. But I just wanted to say that. So, so there is that light that this things can move quicker in the right direction yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely possible but we needed to have a a whole of system shift that was actually forced in order to get that change so when you know a dictatorship would get it done (laughs) but we're free market you know people where the west is democratic and people sort of need to move at their own pace so i think in the absence of that there's probably an argument there that it it takes a little bit of time but it's finding those ways to to break through where you're well positioned is that the incentives are lined up around not just the individual who wants a healthcare system to be more wrapped around them rather than having to leave their life to enter the healthcare system because that's kind of how traditional healthcare works it's kind of my life my life is over here so when i need healthcare i've got to go over there and you Mm. kind of you depart your world and you enter the world of healthcare and then you come back to your world they're very segmented and siloed in that respect whereas i think one of the things that really appeals to me around uh, digital health is that you are the center of the healthcare system it wraps around you streaming data off you and interacting with corporations or you know people who are supporting you towards the you know the goals that you have in mind we bring that together where the the real world and the digital world and the healthcare and my world actually are more tightly integrated whereas yeah, um, traditionally yeah. they weren't so i think that there are incentives all around and when we think about the provider as well health professionals uh, are prone to burnout it's very hard to scale one to one healthcare services where you know you need to put a professional person exclusively with uh, with another person for a period of time you know half an hour 45 minutes mm. 6 minutes 1 hour however long that actual period of time is how do you scale that what if demand far exceeds supply and we just don't have enough of a workforce to be able to sustain mm. that particular system or model so we yeah. have to think outside the box where we can take one professional and concurrently or simultaneously have them support a lot of people and yeah. uh, i think the only way to do that is is using this type of innovation it's to it's to think digital and digital health uh, in order to leverage that expertise that knowledge that that specialization across a bigger group of people. I think that's a fantastic point. I'm really glad you brought it up. We talk in generalities often, right? We say, I read an article last week and it brought home the human element to all this. And it was a guy who was getting chemo. It's called chemo in the home. So there's a, there's the hospital in the home trend. And yeah, it really had an impact on me. Like, so, so this, this particular guy, it was young, in his early 30s. He had stage four cancer. And he said, look, I don't ask the question about my prognosis anymore. I, I, it's just a matter of time. And he was talking about his experience getting chemotherapy at home and what that meant to him. And as a perspective, I hadn't really sort of considered, you know, you hear different stories, but I, this is a really powerful story. And, and he said, look, I know I only have a short, short amount of time and I don't want to spend it in a waiting room in a hospital waiting to get my chemotherapy 
and spending you know a good portion of that super valuable time doing that i want to spend it at home with my kids with my wife every second is valuable and it just made me it's just exactly what you just said then right like that's the real face of what we're talking about that's that's a human centric thing You're like that that's about the person that's that's all we should care about really having him go to a hospital to wait in a waiting room to get chemotherapy drugs he can get in home but he but the, it's just these legacy systems is insane are we really valuing that person's time and their humanity when we do that that doesn't just change his life to be able to have the drug dosed at home it changes the life of you know his partner and his kids and his parents and all the people that we know and love it, it helps them enormously you know so we just reading it, it it's not a little thing it wasn't just gee that's more convenient this is something that's viscerally important to me he's not the norm he, the norm is you go to hospital right that's just what you do so exactly he's on exactly what you're talking about like we need to be going and serving these people much, much better. And technologies that can do it, we need to be getting there faster and putting more emphasis on it because they have such a big impact on the people that matter, the people that use them. You know, these are the people that matter. So it was just one story and I, I just, it just really kind of was impactful for me when I heard that. And there's so many stories like that, you know, that there's, but there's just one. You know, sometimes it just takes one to really gives you that paradigm shift that we, we don't, we talk in generalities, but gee, these are people and they have real stories and, and they're tragic. Some of these are really tragic stories, you know? Yeah. I just wanted to share that because it kind of went to the heart of what you're talking about. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think it is um, at the heart of it because each of us is a life, is a perspective, is a set of feelings, has a network around us. You know, we're the center of our universe. Well, what I see, my personal observations around my family and friends who are not doing so great, you know, with their health. There's a lot of options to gain access to support and to interact with the healthcare system, but they're not taking it up because it's outside of their normal life or it's not servicing them in a way that's more intuitively aligned with them because there's barriers. And so by understanding that, when we actually get down to human-centered design, we actually look at what are these barriers you know, our habits, the way we perceive ourselves, our sense of independence, the personal pride we have in being accountable for ourselves. There's there's a lot of reasons why people won't interface with the healthcare system the way it is now. But if we, if we think outside the box and we start to understand that, one of the points uh, that was percolating in my head, uh, it was sort of picking up on something you said a little bit earlier. You talked about behavioral change. I think people do that a lot but it's inside their head. The data that's feeding the behavioural change is inside their head. It's their feelings, it's their emotions, it's the way they perceive a situation, whether they feel it's moral position, it's ethical position. There's all of these things that are feeding continuously into a person's decisions to not engage with healthcare in the way that it's delivered now or perhaps not make that behavioural change. People are responsive to information. It's just a question of where the source of information is coming from and whether they uh, take an ownership in it. No pun intended, but what I sense in terms of where you're going Mm -hmm. is that you can provide a new information source, not just for the health professional, but also for the individual that stays with them and forms part of the data set that's going on in their own emotional state and their own um, head, opinions, feelings, feedbacks, a life of habit, 
where, you know, that can help inform the way that they do address those behavioral changes and, uh, and get to better, whatever that happens to look like for them. There are those big medical conditions. You mentioned earlier about partnering. So tell me a little bit more about with your platform at the moment, you've got a patch on one side, you've got a data feed coming out. How does the data come out? Is it linked to an app or something? How is it being fed back into, into the overall system? In our trials at the moment uh, via Bluetooth, so we have a Bluetooth to a mobile phone, so that, that's how we do it now. But we're working on integration into various hospital systems, and so there, there's nuances and differences between a lot of them. Yeah, but the the idea would be that there is data streaming off the application, and that can be retrieved in the cloud or alternatively directed to a clinical system. Have you considered or are you considering having parties approach you and say, Peter, here are some markers that we look for and here is a range of good versus not so good. Can you configure that into the system and feed that out to us? Yep, that's a good, yeah, really good question. So we, we employ an open innovation model. There are so many applications that we don't want to constrain the innovation within the four walls of this organization. So what we do now is we partner broadly with lots of universities. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you think, gee, if you could measure X, Y, or Z continuously and in real time, that would revolutionize my industry or it would be really impactful for whatever. We want to talk to you. So this is a call out to say, if you have an idea, talk to us because you're going to get a receptive ear from us because that's our model. That's that's how we operate. And our technology is modular. So it means that we can add sensors relatively easily. It's, it's still a bit of work, but it's but it's not like reinventing a whole new product. So we have a patch and we can do, you know, theoretically up to a dozen sensors on that one patch. So we can test things and we can trial and we can get data and we, we love to collaborate. So if there is something that, that you have in mind that you think, gee, I've always wished to be able to do this, reach out to us because we may be able to help you. And who knows, that may be the, the seed that ends up being something that can help millions of people live better lives. And that's, that's as a company, that's our vision. That's what we're all about. So definitely reach out. All right, fantastic. And I guess just on um, that note in terms of the vision, What's the world going to look like in five to 10 years' time if, if you have it your way? Well, so we talk about our first, second, third markets, but we really think that there is a strong case to say every person that goes to hospital gets a patch because the information that clinicians learn through monitoring sick patients is so valuable and can really guide them in so many different ways. And there's things that we haven't talked about like early identification of sepsis, one of the world's biggest killers. It's fast moving. It's really hard to diagnose because it's like a lot of things. And so a technology like ours could really assist clinicians to do that. With COVID, cytokine storms, for example, are a big killer. Being able to monitor that moves really quickly. So that's our vision. But beyond that, where we're really passionate about is actually giving a tool to individuals to stay healthy. You know, we started off this talk about preventative healthcare. 
That's where we ultimately want to get to. We want to be able to provide a tool so that people don't go down a path and then all of a sudden realize for the last five years they've had diabetes and didn't know about it. And now they've got all this vascular issue and they're going to get, you know, they've got eyesight problems or leg amputations or whatever the case might be, that they know about it as early as possible. Or they don't get chronic kidney disease that affects 800 million people. Or they don't get one of dozens of other problems because they get insight early and can change course easily and stay healthy. So that, that's, that's our vision. That's where we want to get to. And we, we will do everything in our power possible to make that a reality. The people we attract to this company believe in that vision and we are like a dog with a bone and we will do everything in our power to make that possible. That's the one thing. We can control that. That's, that's a controllable thing, right? That's what we do. And time will tell, but but that's the passion and energy that we are going to bring to this. And we're going to bring the resources and the people and the money and everything that's required. We will do our, everything within our power to make that a reality. So because the world needs it and, and people will be better off because of it. That's our vision. That's what drives us. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, I think that's great. So personalized, agile healthcare a new paradigm for individuals and their health providers to work together. I'm kind of having this um, extrapolated idea that next time I look in the pantry for a Tim Tam, I'll be uh, streaming out the desire and this drone with a slapping hand will come along and, um, and whack me around the head and say, don't eat it. Don't eat it. You don't, don't eat, eat it. it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully not that because I do love a Tim Tam. So yeah, you know. no, so I'm pretty partial to them myself, actually. Um, anything chocolate yeah. for that matter. So, uh, Peter, thank you so much for uh, coming in and, and telling us a little bit about uh, Neutromics and congratulations on your uh, progress to date. I understand you're, you're doing pretty well with building the team and you are actively looking for uh, more capital at the moment, I believe, as well. Is that right? We are. Yeah, we're in the middle of a capital raise. We're just closing a bridging round at, right as we speak. We're in discussions with some some major medtech VCs. So I suppose that the, the second call out, if I can call it that, would be if you are a, a venture capital or, or an investor and you like what you hear and you resonate more than anything with what we're doing, and you can help us on the journey, reach out via LinkedIn, look for neutromix.com.au or my email, peter.vrains at neutromix.com.au and uh, we'd love to have a chat with you. Fantastic. Well, we'll put those links in the uh, show notes as well, Peter. So uh, once again, thank you so much and I look forward to hearing uh, some more progress on uh, Neutromix. We'll check in with you um, in due course and see how things are going. Yeah, thanks, Yanni. It's been a really great chat. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.